Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The year is 1993, and get your damn hands off my piano. Paul, I don't yeah. remember that line. Really? I, I could have sworn it was definitely in there. The movie, The Piano. And welcome to Unspooled. I am Amy Nicholson. And I am Paul Shear, And this is the podcast where we are trying to find the 100 best movies ever made. And when we do, we are going to send them up into outer space. We are in the middle of our contender series where we're looking at nominated uh, actors, writers, directors of films in this year's Academy Awards, but looking at their earlier works. Uh, this year, Power of the Dog, which is written and directed by Jane Campion, is up for a lot of Oscars. And we're looking back at the film that really put her on the map, The Piano, uh, which is a film I've never seen before this podcast. And I'm excited to talk to you about it, Amy. Uh, yeah, for a film that is almost the definition textbook idea of what an art house movie is, you know, set in New Zealand about a woman's liberation, a woman who doesn't speak. This movie had a huge impact in the popular culture in 1993. I remember hearing about it because, like, Wayne's World was joking about it. Uh, okay, let's move on. To the piano, all right? This movie sucked. <laughs> this movie sucked. This movie sucked. This movie sucked. This movie sucked. I mean, yeah. yeah. I was like such a chick movie, man. Total chick movie. Amy, I wasn't going to admit this right off the bat, but that's <laughs> how I view the piano. That's why I haven't watched the piano. This came out when I was in high school, and it felt like it was the subject of like a Ben Stiller show sketch. It was just ripe for parody. It felt overwrought. Uh, and... You know, it kept me away from it. So it was really interesting to be challenged to watch this film because I don't think I would have watched it unless it was uh, the movie that we picked, you know. Wow. And um, What a stubbornness in your soul. A stubbornness. It, it truly much is. like Ada McGrath. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> well, I also want to just talk without spoilers about uh, the new Batman movie. We had our episode about it. We are not going to spoil anything, but we both have seen it and... If you know anything about this show, you can probably predict where we fall on it. <laughs> oh, come one on. likes it, one doesn't. I liked it, and Amy, 
You it's did not. It's a monotonous gloom show. Oh my God. You are the worst. Um, oh. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. Amy's uh, text to our unspooled group uh, was, <laughs> oh, that's score. And I said to her, I know I'm repeating our text. That's the one thing that everyone likes. That like the one given is that that score is amazing. The score it's is amazing. Three hours of three notes. All oh right. my god! All right. Oh my god! I I wanted to like drown myself in my giant soda. Well, let me ask you. Uh, not not that uh, not that this makes any bit of a difference, but I know that you withheld seeing the Batman because uh, your boyfriend, who is a director and an accomplished writer in his own right, wanted to watch it with you in IMAX, wanted you to have that experience. And so you waited for him for that. (laughs) Did he like the film? More than me, but not much. His main thing was like, how do you get young kids to love Batman the way that I loved Batman as a child? If you're like, hey, let me introduce you to Batman. It's three hours of just absolute tedium it's really interesting i will say this um the people i've talked to about this movie really split down the middle and and that has been uh every conversation i've had you either love it or you or you don't and i'm very curious about it i'm I'm really i want to have a bigger conversation when we can kind of dive into spoilers and we feel like more people have seen it but i wonder what that is like to be so polarizing for a big studio movie that obviously is gigantically successful. Uh, but I, I am very curious why, what people aren't getting that they wanted. Like I was so upset about the trailers. And then when I saw the film, I was like, Oh, I'm relieved. I hated those trailers. I love this movie. (laughs) And I think other people are like, I love that trailer. And I hated this. How did they cut a trailer that had so much action in it when the movie is so, small but i'm coming also from like i love you know these i I love the the comics like uh court of owls which is a a a fairly recent series in the batman uh dcu comic book universes it feels there's a lot of fun not similarities but i like the detective batman i like a slower paced batman i'm okay with the detective batman i think just where i'm coming from is like you know there's a lot of like nervous fear and anxiety like younger kids don't like movies anymore are movies dying for the younger generation and part of me is like well yeah if we keep taking our batman movies and turning them into like gigantic epics like the godfather like well that's why we got spider-man we got spider-man that's fun they got the one but even if i like the new spider-man don't get me wrong yeah but you're like six years old going to see the new spider-man they're talking about stuff that happened like what I, Six okay, is I way too the, young. Is it? 12, I don't know. 14. I can't show my, I haven't shown my kids a single Even superhero movie. Even if you're 14, movie. the new, the new Spider-Man is talking about stuff that happened before you're born. I feel like okay. at some point we adults have to like unclench a little bit and like let stuff exist for younger audiences. I don't know what we're doing. Okay. Three hour long Batman's Rob around. Pattinson. Oh Rob God. Pattinson's a youngin. He's a young and all those Twilighters are seeing it. They're young. All those Twilighters are like they in love their it. 30s now. Well, that's okay. That's I young. Mean, so it's, that's not Batman for right. kids. Can we agree on one thing? John Turturro, fucking awesome. Okay, I'll, I'll say this. Colin Farrell, great. But I, Colin my heart Farrell, goes unbelievable. Out. Yeah, unbelievable. Quite I don't even know good. how they do it. I don't need, like. I understand. Like I, I wrote this on on uh, Instagram. I was like, I understand makeup, but I don't understand it. When I look, I look at those two faces. I'm like, I don't even see it. I don't even understand w- like what they did. No, 
Although I have to say, my heart breaks for all of the character actors who can't ever play the parts that Colin Farrell can play. And then the penguin comes up and Colin Farrell takes that too. Ah, like, fuck it. I don't on. care. If it's good, I don't care. Like if he did a bad <laughs> job. Do good too. Right. Ewan but McGregor was like great in Birds and of Prey. Jared Leto, all these people putting on like fat suits and fat makeup. Mm. Come on. Just because Come you're on. fat doesn't so mean you're going to give a great performance. Paul Giamatti did an amazing job in Spider-Man already. Or he had a show. Like, like I just, I, I, look, as a character actor myself... Of course, I want to get those roles. You know, I don't want anyone to put on a, a fake bald head. Uh, but at the same time, when the performance is that good, I'm like, what am I going to Now I'm complaining that like, well, they should have given somebody else a shot. It's like, I like the thing that I like, I'm upset about. Like, no, like I liked it. It was good. Like if he sucked, I'd be like, yeah, you know, they should have given, you know, this, somebody else a shot. If it's good, let's sit back and go like, it was good. We, it was well conceived. <laughs> <laughs> I just have empathy, man. All I right. I, I, look, I, I look. I look. It's 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 the root of a lot of things that I feel in general. Uh, but that one didn't like. Uh, that one didn't bother me. Like I also didn't feel like they were selling the movie on Colin Farrell, and I think that to me is like showing that Matt Reeves just made the choice of who. Yeah. He thought could do it. And by the way, I mean, you can't sell the movie as Colin Farrell unless you have the penguin walking around in a shirt that says, no, really, I am Colin Farrell and all of the ads. Because <laughs> otherwise you're not going to know. All right. Well, Amy, uh, let's get away from the bat and um, let's get in. Oh, Josh is writing us some information here that there might be an HBO Max Penguin series, uh, which mm. would be interesting. I like this idea of branching out. There was a great idea back in the day. If you're a fan of the gun, the gunslinger films, uh, they were going to make a gunslinger movie that then would be followed by like, a mini series. And then that mini series would lead into the next movie. It's very much what uh, Marvel is now doing, you know, but it was going to be a lot more, uh, a lot more overlap. Like you'd have to watch the series to understand the next gunslinger. But, uh, the one they did with Idris Elba was, oof, my goof. What a turd. I remember auditioning for that and, and being a fan of the gunslinger, but reading the dialogue and going, yikes, this ain't going to be good. <laughs> like, it was like, it was just tricky from the get. Like, I only had, like, they were like, we can't show you any more than these these four pages. And I was like, hey, <laughs> these four pages are rough. <laughs> um, I mean, if but, they ever hide Andrew's Elba in, like, a, a penguin suit, I will cry. I will cry. Uh, Such bitter, uh, bitter, salty fish tears. Uh, you, uh, let's talk about, uh, you want to talk about hiding him in a suit. Did you see Cats? <laughs> he's in a suit. Oh, he I saw cats multiple yeah, times. Yeah, he's he's in a suit. Um, <laughs> anyway, Amy, uh, let's uh, let's pull out our pianos and tickle those ivories as we sing the song of Unspool It. <laughs> the year is 1993. Bill Clinton is inaugurated as the 42nd president of the United States of America. Don't ask, don't tell is the official policy of the U.S. Armed Forces, effectively banning openly gay soldiers from serving. An FBI siege on the Branch Davidians compound in Waco, Texas, ends in 82 casualties. Remarkable firsts of the year include Beanie Babies and oh. your favorite, Amy, bagless vacuum cleaners. Um, oh, and if oh, any of I'd the- like to thank the Academy. <laughs> you know, we, we've actually talked about a lot of... Uh, things that happened in this year because 93 was a very big year for this show because on this show we have covered the films Groundhog Day, Days and Confused, Schindler's List, Cool Runnings, Jurassic Park, The Fugitive, and Nightmare Before Christmas. And finally, we are doing the piano. I mean, is this our book, Amy? Should we write a, a, a book about 1993? Because this is a really interesting year. 
Oh, can we call it You and Me in 1993? Oh, I like it. Let's get it. Book publishers, get to get our numbers. <laughs> Let's get this book going. Uh, Amy, piano, who's in it? What's it about? And what was on the radio? The Piano, written and directed by Jane Campion. It is a story of a mute Scottish single mother named Ada, who's played by Holly Hunter, whose father marries her off to a rando who lives all the way on the other end of the globe. Her new husband, Alistair, who's played by Sam Neill, is a typical man of his era in 1850s New Zealand. I mean, this is a time of like rapid colonization when British settlers like him are fencing off as much land as they can claim from the Maori. And the Maori at this point have been here for 500 years. So Ada arrives in this moment of transition with her nine-year-old daughter, who is played by Anna Paquin, and Ada's very, very good quality piano, which Alistair immediately says that the Maori cannot carry through the jungle to his house, and he forces her to leave her piano behind on the beach. Ada is not happy, uh, but there is another man named George Baines, played by Harvey Keitel. Uh, he also lives there. He kind of lives this life that's like half British, half Maori. He's got the tamoko, you know, the, the style of body art tattooed on his face. And George is willing to trade Alistair a huge chunk of his land for the piano if it includes lessons from Ada. Now, the whole thing here is that Baines doesn't really want to learn how to play the piano. He just wants to make Ada earn her piano back in exchange for sexual favors. Ada is not happy about any of this. Uh, And even though she does not talk, she makes her irritation clear and she makes it clear that she will not be either man's victim. Take a listen. She says it's her piano and she won't have him touch it. He's an oaf. He can't read. He's ignorant. And he wants to improve himself. And he'll be able to play it. Teach him how to look after it. The Piano was Jane Campion's third film and her first huge breakout success. I mean, not only did she win the Palme d'Or, which is she was the first and only woman to win the Palme d'Or until Julia DeCorno just won it with Titan last year. Uh, the Piano went on to score eight Academy Award nominations, which made her only the second woman to ever be nominated for a Best Director Oscar. She didn't win, but with this year and with Power of the Dog, she is now the first woman to be nominated for the Best Director Oscar twice. And I think this time she might possibly win. So what was in the zeitgeist when the film was released on November 3rd, 1993? This is very exciting to me because it is a song that could not be more perfect. It is a song that's about love. It is about the mysteries of the heart that go unsaid. And it is by a man that I consider the sexy Harvey Keitel in the piano of rock and roll, Mr. Meatloaf. It is I would do anything for love, but I won't do that, whatever that is. And I would do Oh, Meatloaf, we talked about this song, didn't we? I believe that we did on an earlier episode. Oh, I mean, I love Meatloaf to pieces. I was pretty gutted when he passed away this year. Pretty gutted that he passed away for a really dumb reason. I like sat in my car and listened to For Crying Out Loud on repeat. Oh, and I listened to Heaven Can Wait on repeat. Oh, Meatloaf. I miss him. He's- By the way, Meatloaf is a perfect 
in your car musician. Like, I feel like I've listened to the most meatloaf in my car. And uh, especially like my first car. And it was like an old junkie, like Ugh. 1970s piece of shit. And I was like, that was where, that's where meatloaf just sounded better. Um, I'm going to put a meatloaf on my stem player now and see what I, what I can get out of that. Let's see if maybe I can get <laughs> re, uh, bring back some of those vibes. Um, Amy, this movie to me is really interesting because I think I, like I said earlier, I associate this with a type of independent film. And even though it's not this, I put it next to like Merchant Ivory films. And I don't know if this is because it came out at the same time, but there is this idea of period melodrama, you know, that is, you know, what is not spoken, remains the day, things of that nature that made me, that as a kid really turned me off to these films. Like, oh, I don't want to see these movies. I have no desire to see it. It almost felt like to me and my, and, and I don't know if I have really changed my opinion on this. Like, I feel like this time and this type of independent film really is specific. Like this 90s version of smaller um, foreign film. And, and you know, yeah, yeah no, it was everywhere. It was everywhere. Yeah. I mean, like Anna Paquin wasn't predicted to win the best uh, supporting actress for this. That's Everybody thought wild. it was actually going to be like Winona Ryder for Age of Innocence, like another one of those kind of movies of this time period. But wait, let me ask you. So when you think about these movies, which I'm getting the vibe you didn't even see a lot of them at the time, like what are the adjectives that pop into your mind? I mean, boring, slow, dark, uh, you know, uh, monosyllabic. Like it, it feels no to syllabic. me. <laughs> no syllabic. <laughs> but like it just, it, it feels to me uh, really like the weather that you see in the piano, like that kind of gl- gloomy, you know, and, um, oh, you know, where it's like the movement of a teacup means more than any line of dialogue like that, you know, a lot of naked ass. Um, this is like, you know, uh, this is the <laughs> You're time, right, but that does sound like one of the things doesn't belong with the other. I know, teacups I know moving and naked asses, but that is also true. I, I, I feel like that's like the amount of sexuality you get is like a butt. You know, and uh, but, you know, and you get more. But it, but there is just something about this time that I don't know. It just I I think I have a hard time, like even separating myself. And I think there's one end of it, which is like Last of the Mohicans, which is kind of in that vein, but also more of like a blockbuster, but has a lot of yeah. the same kind of brooding dark we're in the, the jungle Ugh. and we're not talking that much but we're here and I then on the other side movie. of it I, I i love that movie too and on the other side of it you have like the movies that i think i responded to which was reservoir dogs bad lieutenant you know those movies that i felt like ooh, that's that's where i live and yeah. we're, you know we're seeing some peen in bad lieutenant you know some yeah, Keitel, yeah you know i mean if you had and, known that you'd see harvey Keitel's peen both in bad lieutenant and the piano would you have seen it earlier uh, maybe. I mean, look, you know, it's, you gotta, you gotta applaud, you gotta applaud it if you got it. Um, but no, I, I, so yes, I do have like a little bit of like a, a, like an instant snark with these movies. And I think it was just how it was like kind of bred in me. Like it just came up in a time where they were disrespected to my age group. And so I have a hard time like working out of it. I haven't watched, you know, Remains of the Day. I haven't seen those films, you know, Little Women I saw. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds like you thought like those are for adults. Those are like the kind of movies that win Oscars, which I think the Oscars still think are the kind of movies that win Oscars, which make me a little irritated today. 
uh, you know, like that we like still feel like, well, if it's period and people are solemn and the leaves are rustling, like definitely that's a better film than like anything with more action yeah. or like anything with more wit or personality. But then the piano, when you when you stack it up against so many movies in that genre, the piano is like punk rock, man. It's like the the riot girl of these like indie movies. You know what I mean? It's like I'm a woman and I'm like not going to let anybody push me around. And yeah, I got these hoop skirts, but I do what I want, man. And then she gets a metal finger at the end because her finger gets cut off by her husband. Like that's so metal. She is like the Kathleen Hanna of these indie movies. Yeah, there's something really interesting about this as like a a really you know, feminist film, right? Because it, it like, there's a lot of tropes here that we've seen in other films, right? Like, and I think the major one that we often see is like this unrequited love. And if you just hammer at this woman enough, she will fall in love with you. Like that will be the end game, right? And I think there's a lot of movies of this time that are like this, you know, like, you know, um, and I, I'm thinking about movies like Summersby. Remember Summersby with like Richard Gere, you oh know? God, and, no, I don't think I was Oh my that. God. Yeah. I think it's Richard Gere and Jodie Foster. Uh, I'm also if thinking Richard about- Richard Gere just tries hard enough, you'll eventually realize he's Richard Gere. Well, Richard Gere comes home and pretends he's this guy named Summersby. And then it's like, but he's not really Summersby, but she can't remember what her husband looked like or some bullshit. <laughs> but, uh, and then like he reveals like, I'm not actually your husband. I'm just pretending to be your husband. Um, and like, I think of this movie, like, a lot of uh, of um, like Nell. Oh, by the way, Summers V, uh, as Devin has just told us, is a remake of The Return of Martin Gare, uh, a French flick. So there we go. Uh, uh, but, you know, I like <laughs> Summers V is a much better title than, uh, no, I like The Return <laughs> of Martin Gare. But yeah, so there is something about like this film that's interesting because she's so strong, but it still is falling to me a little bit in that trope of, I don't want to be with this man. I don't want to be with this man, but he eventually does get her. And like, and his love is, I don't know. These are those movies that I'm like, are these, are these the movies that fucked up like our culture? Like, again, if you just get in a woman's face enough, she will eventually fall in love with you. Like, you know, (laughs) like he basically is like, what you're saying is true. Like he's like, play this piano I'll make you do stuff. I will, you know, you got to lift up your skirt. I got to, you know, I'm going to touch your leg. I'm going to make you take off your top. I'm going to, you know, and, and then eventually, you know, she's like, she, she finds true love. I don't know. There's something about it that, like, I feel like her character is so strong, but I'm also like, is this a good message? Is this, what what are we, what are we saying here? Like, there's something about it where I like the idea that once she gets back to piano, she's like, fuck you and fuck you. And then she goes out and then I would love that ending where she's not with anybody, but I'd like that she's happy too. I don't know. I, I'm mixed. I'm very mixed on like what I'm watching here. (laughs) Okay. That's a lot. That's a lot. Let's start to unpack all of that. Right. Okay. Okay. Because, okay. Simplest level of talking about this story, right? A woman is married against her will. She doesn't like her husband. She doesn't like her husband's friend. Her husband, her husband's friend is like sexually blackmailing her to get back the only thing she cares about besides her daughter. Her voice, because she can't speak and the piano is a substitute for her voice. It gives her a freedom of expression, which I think is a beautiful, uh, you know, beautiful metaphor. Exactly. So when he's offering her this trade, he's basically saying, if you ever want to speak again or be yourself, you got to have sex with me. You see... 
I'd like us to make a deal. There's things I'd like to do while you play. If you let me, you can earn it back. What do you think? One visit for every key. So she doesn't like either of these men, and both of these men are really sexually and almost like psychotically obsessed with trying to figure out how to make her like them. And then one of them cuts off her finger and she decides she loves the other one. Well, wait, wait. Like, oh, hold on. There, there, there's a couple of things that you're leaving okay. out here, too. Because, um, you know, Sam Neill's character is the person that she has been sold off into marriage to. And, you know, the first kind of sign that that he might not be the perfect guy is when we see him a day late. He comes to pick her up from the beach a day late. Um and not that he was busy doing other things, but like there's a there's an energy about him that feels uh, very much like he's trying very hard to be someone he's not. Right. He is he is here buying up land. He doesn't really belong. He's a fish out of water and he's trying to keep up appearances. And I think part of that is having this this wife and this child. But it I don't even think he knows why he want like he just expects like instant connection. Just add water and it's all going to work out. Yeah. He's a and, guy who like brushes his hair in the jungle to make sure it looks nice. And you're like, well, I, I appreciated that from yeah. well, because he's meeting well, his bride. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it wasn't like he was just being uh, like, you know, a dandy, you know, um, he, he, he like he looks at her. He's, I think, attracted to her and he wants to make sure he looks good. Uh, I do like that shot, though. He's like going on his way to meet oh, her yeah. and he's looking at his, her picture and then he tilts it. So it's like his reflection. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, how will I look for her? But yeah. even so, it does seem like everybody's surprised that he combs his hair. You're right. It's not, it's polite. But everybody's it's like, polite. OK, and, all right. And hair and, comb and, and die. And I will say that there's an energy to this meeting. Like, it seems like hell to get to this beach, to get you know, yeah. <laughs> to this world. The mud world. is like up to your ankles. Everybody's skirts are stuck. Like a, a heinous trip. And then she wants him to carry a full piano back to his, you know, his house. Just the base level of it. I get like, hey, I, we can't carry this piano back. Like this, this is, this is like a little bit too much for us. Too heavy. You mean you don't want your clothing or your kitchenware to come? Is that what you mean? We can't leave the piano. Look, let's not discuss this any further. I'm very pleased that you arrived safely. Mother wants to know if I could come back directly for it. Could I apologize for the delay, which I regret was... After they've taken the other things. Like... Okay, this is our first moment where we're like, this guy's a dick. But is he? Like, <laughs> he's not, like, he's doing his best. And I'm not saying that, like, Sam Neill's a perfect guy. I'm not saying that she should fall in love with him. But she's asking a very hard thing. He, I think, responds in a real way. I think they're trying to figure out this connection. He doesn't understand that this is her voice. They don't even have this it's adversarial from the start, right? And, yeah. and it he's seems like... He's only gotten this mention in a letter that she's played it since she was a kid. Like, later on when it's mentioned, she can't play He's like, oh, yeah, I guess I heard that. He doesn't know. Right. And also, it's not like she's going to help carry it. You know, well, she's expecting basically, like, the Mallory that she's just met to carry it. Like, you And she it. comes... I mean, look, and I think one of the things about... I love... I, 
I truly do love the performances in this movie, uh, especially Harvey Keitel uh, and and Holly Hunter. She, but it's a it's a real strong miscommunication that puts these two people really on a bad foot. Like she is now closed off, really in any way, to this man from that opening moment, where I don't feel like I kind of feel like she's a little bit to blame for the this relationship not working out because she really shuts him down and it doesn't seem like they discuss it in any real meaningful way it's like this argument on a rainy beach in you know when they first meet um and that and that you know that basically flavors their whole relationship and i think that sam neil is trying throughout the film up until a point he's like he goes away for a few days and he's like maybe when i come back we can reconnect we can try this again um, so I do believe that he's doing his best. I don't think of him as like an asshole. I don't think of him as, uh, being abusive or terrible, but a misunderstanding that never is really forgiven. And then, yeah, like when, when Jane Campion talks about that character, she doesn't talk about him being a villain. She talks about him being vulnerable. Yes. You know, like she sees him as vulnerable. And so there's just this idea. Like, I like that because like, if he's just sort of like a, you will be my woman and you will do my yeah. dishes. Then you get why she doesn't like him. But when you don't get why she doesn't like him and when she won't explain to anybody because she's just made this decision when she was six years old, you know, the first thing we know about her, she made a decision when she was six years old that she just wasn't going to talk. And she doesn't even know why that happened anymore. And she's just got this stubbornness that as her dad tells her when she's little, She's so stubborn she could die because of it. This is like, you know, the only one of the only two times we hear her voice in the whole movie. It's just like the two times she narrates her life, like right at the beginning and right at the end, where like she says, here's what you need to know about me. I'm stubborn as shit. And I don't even know why, but this is who I am. The voice you hear is not my speaking voice, but my mind's voice. I have not spoken since I was six years old. No one knows why. Not even me. And that's fascinating, right? Because, like, then all we know is, like, she just decided not to like him and she's stubborn about it. So it's just about a woman who, you know, has her own will. Which is incredibly refreshing for this type of a story. And I think that that is really interesting. Like, like she's not just submitting. I guess my question to you is, if he did take the piano, would this whole movie be different? Well, I feel like she would have come up with something else not to not to talk really? to him over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Interesting. Like because I don't I, get the sense that she, or at least I'm not getting the sense that she's like, I don't like being put in this marriage. Yeah. I get the sense that she's mad at him for this. Where is well, if I knew that she was upset about being in an arranged marriage, I would buy the stubbornness a little bit more. But here, she's just kind of being. A dick. And I think that that's okay. It's a character choice. It's like, but I'm just saying it's, but that's what she's doing. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if it's just that. I mean, like this movie is told in a way that's so much like, like Ada herself. Like it withholds everything that you might mm -hmm. really need we to know. We don't even know who the father of her child is. It only appears in the novelization that, uh, of, of the piano. Yeah, exactly. Like all we can do is sort of deduce from like the tiny hints we've gotten like she well we know that like her dad is willing to send her to the other end of the world right her dad's yes. just like okay peace out and we know that she has had a child out of wedlock and this is not a time when you should be having a child out of wedlock and she's not a widow she like was never married and that's like scandalous so from those two things we can 
maybe guess that like her dad hates her or is like embarrassed by her. Maybe her dad's like a super bad guy. What kind of girl stops talking when she's six years old to her dad? What was that relationship like? Did he yell at her? Like what's going on? It, what has she done? It, it, it just, it kind of like, there's almost like this whole kind of storm cloud that you get a sense of in that she's just a woman living in opposition to it. And that's like all you know. And I think the fact that it's not, you know, psychologically explained the way that so many movies do now. Like, let me tell you about when I was right. a small child and my or daddy there's said a reveal, to me like, like the last half yeah. hour, the third act reveal. We've talked about this idea where it's like, and that's why they hate children, you know? Exactly. And, and, yeah. And I agree with it. Like there, there's, yeah. and that's oh, what I think what makes, mom, Deville's mom was killed by Dalmatians. Like there's none of that. And is think, that really what happens in that movie? Yes. Her oh mom was God. killed by Dalmatians. No. Oh, oh yeah, real. yeah. And yeah. I know people really like that movie, but wow. God damn it. Yeah. Right. Um, like we don't need that. And I think that Jane Campion is like, when you're a person who doesn't reveal all your cards, like this character does, like my movie does, doesn't that make me stick in your mind more? Aren't you more like, what is your problem? Well, I think it makes her, you know, I think it's something that we talk about a lot, which is like this, this um, uh, unlikable lead. I really like her character, but I can't say that I feel like she is behaving properly. Right. Like uh, and not to say like not even like, oh, she's not performing her duties like she is so stubborn. You want to see her succeed, but also, you know, that some of the issues she's having is because of her stubbornness. And and so what I like about this film and there's a lot that I like about this film, but is like is. I guess how our stubbornness is is worn down by Harvey Keitel, but it has like a, it does have a taming of the shrew energy to it, right? Like this idea of like, I'm going to get you in here and you're going to do my bidding and I'm going to like, I'm going to break you down until you actually like open up. Harvey Keitel is looking at her. We know that Harvey Keitel is in a bad marriage or, you know, he hasn't seen his wife. His wife's like somewhere on the other end of the world and the local people are teasing him that he doesn't use his penis enough. Right. And so we know that and we don't even looking, know if Sam Neill's ever used his penis. Like he's not know. married. Like, is he just like sailed over here and never, never I mean, the, dated? Yeah. We I don't mean, know. Poor kid. I mean, maybe you don't know maybe before he got on the boat, but so there is an energy too, where it's like, all right, so Harvey Keitel is looking at her with lustful eyes, right? That's how we have to imagine. That is like, that's the only thing that he knows. He doesn't, he's not like, Oh, I love her piano playing. He He's looking at her from the get go as Someone he wants to, you know, do it with, right? Well, I, I think mean, like the piano playing has something to do with it, though, because when he first sees her, all he says right. is she looks tired, which is, mm-hmm. I think, interesting. Like he's looking at her and not just being like, she's hot, she's short, which is Sam Neill saying, oh my God, she's right. short. He's like, I look at you and I can see that you've been through something. Like he's trying to understand the inner her a little bit or he's well, open to it. But I would say he kind of ignores her or not ignores her, but like isn't invested until she like convinces him to take her down to where the piano is and he hears her play the piano. And I think when he hears that, then it's almost like she's spoken to him because right. think about her this, voice like, comes through. He gets to hear who she is by listening to it, you know, and Sam Neill never gets that. He doesn't actually get to hear the why the piano is important to her and get to hear her voice through it until the end. And even then she doesn't like playing it for him. So, you know, that the score for the piano was actually 
made fun of. Like a lot of music critics didn't like it. You know, she has that theme, like that one theme she keeps coming back to, the one that she's like, this is really my expression of my voice. Like here, we'll play it a little bit here so you can hear what we're talking about. The strange thing is, I don't think myself silent. That is because of my piano. I shall miss it on the journey. Music critics were like, that music sucks. They said it was anachronistic. They said it was too modernist. They said it was not like what a woman would play at the time. But I think that's kind of missing the point. Like, I think this is like a really modern woman who's not playing the music of the day. You know, like if you notice, like Holly Hunter, her character never plays sheet music. She's not out there like playing with little like hymns. Like this is a music that I feel like she made herself. And so the composer of the, of the score, he was like, I had to write this as though a woman who was not a trained composer would have come up with, you know, like mm. the kind of music she would have written. So he's like, yeah, it is kind of like more blunt and emotional and powerful than like complicated and precise. But he's like, that is the kind of music this girl would play. And especially because Holly Hunter's playing herself, which is so cool. I mean, I feel like usually when you see movies about people playing the piano, you know, they they do that thing. It's like, here's their face, here's their hands, here's their face, here's their hands. And you know they're not playing it. But there's something I think really powerful about watching Holly Hunter, tiny little Holly Hunter, who's 5'2", but looks so much smaller in this movie, actually playing it. Like it feels real seeing this music come out of her body. But I guess, I mean, the ultimate thing is like the soundtrack to this movie sold like gangbusters. People really liked it. And maybe I'm crazy, Paul, but I think that the score for Downton Abbey sounds like it's kind of knocking off the score for the piano. Do you think I'm crazy? I pulled a little bit of the Downton Abbey score. If I'm not, something else. Interesting hearing them back to back like that because the Downton Abbey score is so, like, I think iconic in my mind. But yeah, I, I understand what you're going for there. Interesting. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, a few things that I think are interesting to know about Jane Campion. I mean, one, she's very much a woman from New Zealand. New Zealand is, has a fascinating history. I mean, this is like the first nation in the world that granted all women the vote. Her family was there forever. Like her mom was an heiress. You know, she came from like a fancy family. Both of her parents loved theater. They ran a theater company there. She thought her parents and their love of theater was a little bit embarrassing at the time. That's actually how she knows Sam Neill. Like Sam Neill knew her parents through the theater world. It's like a whole thing. But she decided she was going to not do that. She was going to study anthropology. That was her real interest, which I think you can see in her films. Um, And so she left New Zealand and she went to London then Australia. And then she realized she loved film. And by the time she got back to New Zealand, they actually were making films. There wasn't a film industry in New Zealand when she left. Now we think of New Zealand as one of, I think, the unofficial film capitals of the world. Hmm. So that is Jane. That is, I think, a good mix of her. You know, she is a woman who comes back to New Zealand. She's like, I want to make my own New Zealand Wuthering Heights, like a gothic, you know, something about my ancestors in this country, which I think has a lot in common with ours. I I, I love that moment where, you know, they're stuck on the beach in the beginning and they're waiting to be picked up. And, you know, she breaks through the case of the piano and just plays with her fingers through that hole, you know, just to kind of, and it's really interesting, the idea of fingers. And we see that again, the fingers like Harvey Keitel's fingers through the hole of her stocking. And like this idea of like, this is, it brings some sort of peace. It brings some sort of comfort. Um, And I do think that maybe overall, what this film is trying to say is Harvey Keitel used to be this imperialist, this kind of a person who is, you know, uh, the typical uh, British. Is he British? I don't know the accent. I can't quite place. But, he, uh, uh, you know, uh, this man who I think has been affected by the Maori. The Maori has rubbed off on him. He is not only he is living in both worlds uh, quite effectively, too. And it feels to me like the Maori are much more aware of emotions and people and and this idea of playfulness and this uh, you know there's so much like when you watch them throughout the entire film and there's a great sequence when they're going to the play and and the maori attack what's going on on stage because they 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 think what's going on on stage is is happening like that there is a woman being you know attacked on stage so they are much more with their heart and their emotions so i love that idea that the first time that he sees her he's able to see her not as just like a woman that has arrived here, but as who, what, where, what she needs, which is she looks, you know, she looks tired. Like he's able to see her more fully. So that is interesting to me. Yeah, we were really into that kind of character, weren't we? Like right then, right? I'm thinking about, you know, Last of the Mohicans, like I'm a person who lives with a foot in both worlds. Like, yeah. Or uh, what, Kevin Costner and Dances with Wolves. Like there's something in the early 90s where we were like, who are we? What is our soul? Like, can we find a better soul for the people of this country or something by like going back to the origins? 
but but also making it hunky and sexy. I don't know. It's a lot of Fabio covers, but it, it's uh, a lot of like you're right. But it is but it is that Fabio. idea. But it but it is that idea of like this is the man that will understand me. You know, in in many respects, and and maybe that is part of this story, which is really kind of showing this idea of the the person who con- they're both conquering in different ways, right? Because you have Sam Neill's character who is taking this land from these people with his money and and being real shitty about it. Like he's going to give them buttons. You know, we see that scene where he's giving them buttons. Like, don't give us these fucking buttons. Like, you know, like we're not idiots. The blankets for half the land. Twelve. Yeah, and that comes right after, like, we're listening to the Mallory talk about, like, our ancestors were buried here. This is really sacred. What are you giving us? These, like, blankets? And they are like, justly spit on the blankets but yet these men are just like and he's all mad like what are they even doing with this land they're not cultivating it like i think it's really telling how jane campion feels about this guy because every time you go to his house it's like surrounded by like trees on fire that have charred and all the branches are gone like he's destroying this land and when you go to harvey Keitel's, i guess he's more of like a Tarzan figure. God, we love these characters. What is with us? But he's like living part of, he's in the jungle. Like he's, he's surrounded by the trees. He's not like tearing it down. Even though he's like 80 land, 80 acres of this land that I don't even think like necessarily belongs to this guy. Like, I don't know how they're even claiming all of it. Like this is a point when New Zealand's about to start having huge fights over like who owns the land and whose deeds are correct and what is right. Yeah, but he's like giving it away. He's giving away other people's land for a piano that doesn't belong to him either, you know, well, or that yeah. doesn't belong to anybody. Like they're trading stuff that doesn't belong to them. Well, they are. They are these. They are these conquerors, right? And I think that Harvey Keitel, while having a foot in the Maori culture and being able to to be a little bit more vulnerable, but I also think Sam Neill's vulnerable too. Uh, you know, at least romantically, like not necessarily in his dealings with the Maori, but. Uh, he's also conquering her. He's like, all right, I see you, but it's not like pure. It's because the purity <laughs> is, I'm going to bring back this piano. This is going to make you happy. You got it. But it's like, no, I'm going to bring back this piano. I'm going to make you work for it as like, like, like for prostitution. Like, you know, on, on some level, that's what it is, right? It's like, you, you let me do whatever I want to you. And then you can earn back this piano. Like it is, there's a commerce there. So yeah. it's sort of like we are looking at this character. And I think that's why I couldn't really separate from him. Like, so I get that there are different men and, and whatever, but they're both, they're both really manipulating a situation. They're both taking advantage of a person without power. If, you know, and it's Sam Neill's taking advantage of the Maori and Harvey Keitel is taking advantage of this woman who has no one. You know, not saying that women are powerless, but she has nothing. So he is basically able to control her. The one thing that she needs, he has direct. Yeah. You know, and that's what I think is so fascinating about this movie is like, I mean, can you see the version in your head where Ada is more of like a victim? And it's like, oh, no. And I have to trade these sexual favors for this piano. And I'm like 
either what I guess like the two versions you do is like she's very like sad and cries about it or she's like slaps him and no I won't do it I just won't have my piano you like those are kind of I guess the two like acceptable responses is to like lean into like let me show you how broken she is by this arrangement or she won't do it she's too good she's too noble and instead Campion picks this like middle option where she's like well I don't like it but okay right and that's yes but she also reneges on it because she they make a deal right they go He's like, 88 lessons, and you get your piano back. And she's like, no, only the black keys. So it's like, whatever, 40 lessons. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, good negotiator. She, yeah, she is a good negotiator. And then as she, you know, she negotiates, you know, to take her top off or lay with him, 10 keys, you know, they, they, she is constantly in the battle of it. And the whole time, I think what I love about it is you feel like in her heart, she's saying, I am, you, he thinks he's using me. I'm using him. And I think that that's actually really strong until it works out the other way, the typical way that these movies work out, which is, and guess what? She loves him now. So it was right what he did. Well, she loves him, but then, I mean, if she loves him, but then she's also like, I could also just kill myself and say, fuck him too. And she sure does. But she like really is like, well, let me try it out. Let me go underwater, attached to my piano, and try drowning. And then, like, see if I like that better than well, being with this okay. guy, too. Like, you can't... Nobody can own me unless I agree. Yeah, but at that point, it's too late. Right? I think it's that... But like, at that point, like, she, I know that she doesn't want to be owned. And she makes that decision at the end to escape, right? Um, but it's interesting because why not... Why fight so hard when he's coming, when Sam, like, again, we're we're skipping over some plot points, you know, when she goes back and she finds, she, like, after she gets her piano back, she finds that she misses this connection. So that's where she goes back and she's like, I do love you. And that's where Sam Neill is caught, uh, not with his pants down, but with their pants down. And he sees like, oh, actually, they're not going there for lessons. They're having sex. And in his mind, he feels incredibly betrayed. And he's like, I've done everything. I've tried everything. I've tried to connect with you. And now uh, I'm going to hurt you. And not to say that that is a warranted way of reacting, but like he has been pushed to his breaking point. Uh, you know, he tries to... Uh, rape her uh mm-hmm. into twice. love twice um and harvey Cattell's also raping her yeah you know and being like oh yeah like so she's it, torn between two rapists yeah and it's like and I, and I guess you know and so then i guess at the end we know that she has this connection with harvey Cattell, right and we also know that she has a connection with sam neil because she we mentioned that one time in the film uh when she was she's talking about this mental connection that she had with this lover uh, and, and how he heard her and he stopped listening to like her yeah. inner thought, almost like, t- like telepathically. She says like she could like almost what lay her thoughts in and like, in him like a sheet, like she could make him understand her. Right. And, we and then see he gets that, scared and he doesn't want to listen. And we see that moment with Sam Neill. And this is like uh, arguably one of the biggest moments of connection because also Right. So we see that. We also see that Harvey Keitel says, like, whisper in my ear. And then she does. Does she actually speak to him? It's left a little bit open to interpretation. Right. That's a very lost in translation moment there. Did did anything happen? Did nothing happen? I don't know. But I would argue she also connects with both of these men in very unique ways. Sam Neill and 
and Harvey Keitel. Sam Neill obviously freaks out. I uh, and then is and then rightly so is like fuck it, I'm done. Like I don't want her. I'm done with this. And and uh, and and kind of backs off and says, "You take her." And you all be happy. And then Harvey Keitel's like, I'm going to go back. Like everyone, like everyone gets what they want. And so at that point for her to be like, well, now I'm going to kill myself. It's like, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm just having like, I feel like it yeah. hits all the beats of what you're saying. Punk rock, but not, it's like kiss. Is kiss punk rock or are they like, uh, or rock? No, like they're, they're putting on this performance. Like guar is punk rock. Like, Kiss or uh, I don't Gwar know. It's a hard. No, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I guess like I, Halloween. I know. I guess I'm trying to figure out like what I mean. Like I was like, there's like there's a level of like, you see us, we're actually badasses. But I mean, and this, I can't really draw this comparison perfectly. Uh, I but all I'm saying is I think it's trying to be like yes, the middle finger, and she stands up for herself, and she does all this stuff. But yet it fulfills every beat for beat of everything that we're saying that we are sick of it's the same it's it's the you're still getting the same story with some spikes of oh but she stands up for herself and she does her own thing but at the same time she doesn't well but i think she's okay i think she's maybe punk rock more like a like like a darby crash or something like or like one of those like self-destructive punks who are like i don't know if i'm attached to this world it's it's like i think the energy behind it is kind of false well, because she, then cover kill herself. Well, okay. A Campion gave an interview recently where she was like, you know, if I'd had more courage, I think I would have had her kill herself. Yes. But I was like a little bit too scared to do it at the time. I'm glad she doesn't kill herself because I think what you get from that idea is like she's open to trying it. And her it's her will that keeps her from dying at the end. And it makes it sound like she doesn't even understand herself. You know, that she was like totally thinking, okay, I guess I'll try killing myself. Now I'll see the, how that goes. And something in her, her will, which she talks about almost like an external figure that she doesn't understand, won't let her do it. And so it feels like she even is wrestling with something that she doesn't get. Like there's some sort of weird spirit in her that she doesn't understand. And then like when she's having her like kind of quote unquote happy ending at the end where she's like, maybe I'll try learning how to speak. I don't know. Oh, it's Harvey Keitel. I'll kiss him. I'm happy. Even in this moment where she's like kissing him and seeing kind of happy, she's like, you know, sometimes I still think about my piano underwater and I'm like, maybe that sounds nice. Maybe I do wish I was dead after all. At night, I think of my piano and its ocean grave. And sometimes of myself floating above it. Down there, everything is so still and silent that it lulls me to sleep. It is a weird lullaby, and so it is. It is mine. There is a silence where hath been no sound. There is a silence where no sound may be in the cold grave under the deep, deep sea. I mean, to me, this doesn't sound like a happy ending. This sounds like a woman who's still like, Pretty ambivalent and just seeing well, what she thinks day by day. Well, let, let me let me throw this out at you. And I don't know enough about psychology to name it. But you could argue that she's mentally ill. Yeah. 
right? I mean, she's and made this decision. Movies about mentally ill people. She's made this decision not to speak. You know, this, it's no affliction, right? Um, she fluctuates on how she feels and what she does. She's suicidal. There are things here that would that would make more sense for a person who is dealing with some sort of mental illness, right? Like there's some sort of, on some level, and I'm not like, I don't need to unpack it from that point of view, but I, it's tricky. It's tricky to me. This movie is a tricky yeah. movie. I mean, um, that's what I like about it. Like to me, that's the best part about it. I think if I understood her, I'd find this movie kind of simplistic. Mm-hmm. But finding her like maddening and snobby and brave and mean, like all at once, she reminds me in a way of like, Scarlett O'Hara, you know, that kind of like character, I feel like we don't even get enough in movies, you know, who's just like a willful woman Mm -hmm. who makes bad choices and is like, care about me as I do crazy stuff and break a bunch of people's hearts. Because I'm so tired of like, well-meaning strong female characters who like say all the right things and punch the right bad guys and just like immediately can be like psycho killers whenever they need to be like to avenge themselves. She's not that like, right. She can't be like, I'll carry my piano myself. You know, he's like, I'm cutting off your finger. And she's like, I can't stop you from this. But she's like, what I have control over, which is how I think of you and how I treat you. I will own every inch of that. Right. And you don't even have to like me. I don't like, I don't want you to like me. I guess, I guess I feel like it just pulls its punches a little bit. That's kind of indicative of Jane Campion saying like, oh, I might have killed her at the end. Like there's like there's an energy to it where it's like you're still giving. I think the reason why this movie is successful, I think this reason why this movie works on a general like in this big, like huge indie way is because it still checks the boxes of this type of a movie. Right. And yes, her character is more interesting. And maybe that should be what we applaud here. And I guess I want to say to you, just in the context of Power of the Dog, then that must mean that you don't like Power of the Dog because Power of the Dog really then underscores why every decision is made. Like that is, I mean, if you're saying she, one of the things that she does so well in this movie is kind of hide motivations and like Power of the Dog, I really like Power of the Dog. Um, I watched it with my, uh, my good friend, Sam Elliott, who had a really <laughs> bizarre reaction to it. Uh, but um, that movie very much like I'm going to you'll understand every like there's not there's nothing left you know there's no stone left unturned in that movie yeah I don't love power of the dog to be honest I mean because there is a moment in power of the dog where a character that you feel protective of makes choices you don't understand completely and I would love it if that's what the movie was like really about or sort of exploring or allowing to let happen. But all the interesting stuff in that movie happens at the very end. And then it's just over. I'm like, show me the power of the dog where like the ending happens in the middle and then go on from there. Mm. Like, I don't know. I felt like it was all tease. Well, you know, there's a, there's a certain energy to these movies where if you nail the ending, you walk out like, ooh, that was a great movie, you know, and, and you forget about what got you there, you know, yeah. you, you and it's it's sort of the idea that we talked about with American Graffiti so many years back, uh, where it was like, if I'm crying at the title cards of American Graffiti about where these men ended up and, and, and these kids ended up, I, I've left being like, oh, I was emotionally fulfilled by this movie. But yet, if I took out that ending, I don't feel that way at all. This movie, I don't think does that. I mean, piano does not do that. I think piano does. I think piano has like, I, I'm happy for them at the end. I am, I guess, is the end of the piano her saying, 
I could fight or I could try. And I've chose to try. And that's the, I don't want to like oversimplify it, but say like that's the arc of her character is like she's going to give it a shot. And from that moment that she tries to kill herself to freeing herself to entering into this world of teaching the piano, of, of opening herself to the world, what she has done is say, I've done so much pushing everybody away that now I'm going to try to pull people in. But I also like that people are afraid of me with my fucking crazy yeah. metal mail. Like, like, I'm the still I'm the, the weird town one. freak and I love it. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, so there maybe is the bravest something thing you can do is then maybe what she's saying is the bravest thing you can do sometimes is change your mind about who you are or be right. vulnerable. Like she's letting herself be vulnerable, which she hasn't done till this right. point. And that is but brave yeah. to be but vulnerable. But she also, but I, I think that this is why I have this issue with it. And maybe it's just an ordering issue. I love when she goes back to Harvey Keitel's house. And after, when they have sex for the first time, when they really, like, when she wants to be there, I love that sequence. I love the sequence where she's sneaking back the next day because he says to her, if, if this is real to you, come back the next day. And, and you see the joy, like, the first time we see this character in this joy so I'm going to put a, I'm going to put on the side my issues of this man who is just basically, you know, prostituted her uh, that relationship. I'm going to put that on the side and say, like, so here's this moment where you feel like she has real, true joy with this man and they've connected and the sex that they have together feels uh truly like this emotional like uh, holly hunter talks about like using her body as like she's like sex is like using all six senses at once and and you feel like you get this like the sex that they have is really beautiful and um he gets inside her hoop skirts man i know i mean they they make a big deal about what a what a cock block a hoop skirt can be i mean it really does i really when you see it all like that but practical hoop skirts they can become tense they could I become mean, carriages. They, I mean, I love the way that she built a uh, a little tent out of it. So I think oh, in that oh moment. God, sorry, I just got an image in my head of when Jane Campion does that thing where she's like showing Harvey Keitel getting inside her hoop skirt to like go down on her as Sam Neill is watching from the outside. And then he realizes a dog is licking his hand. Oh, that is, gosh. Oh, man. Really? I mean, and look, and the imagery here is beautiful. Like, I guess. Like, so what I'm saying is that moment. I feel like that's the moment where she is. She has given over. She is embraced this relationship and and said ultimately like, and damn everything else, because I know this is dangerous. I'm making this choice. And then when she gets the finger cut off and then she is given, given, or that she now can be with this man, it seems like we regress a little bit. And I think that's my, that's my issue. Like, I almost feel like, we're building to this moment, but then I don't understand why we go backwards. Is it just because she's depressed? Because Harvey Keitel doesn't do anything to her that would make her regress from him. She obviously is depressed that her finger is cut off because her, her husband attacked her. But I don't know. Like that, that to me is the thing I'm like, so was that real? Or was that well, not real? But the way that we see it, it's real. Like their connection yeah. is real. Because well, there's that kind of really chewy interlude between when she's like having sex with Harvey who by the way doesn't Jane Campion just shoot him like a sex god oh, yeah. which is crazy it's like this is Harvey Keitel like this I mean this is like you know reservoir dogs this is this mm-hmm. is like 
I mean, taxi driver. This is like Harvey Keitel, who I, what, he's like in his mid fifties at this point. And he's finally only like now breaking through. Like the thing on Harvey Keitel up until this point was like, how do you feel, Harvey, that you made all these movies with Scorsese and De Niro and that like De Niro became a star and you were sort of left doing these like bit parts. And then Jane Campion is like, oh no, I see what an interesting weirdo you are. And I'm going to use like the female gaze of the camera to be like, Mm -hmm. Harvey Keitel, you are the sexiest man alive. And she pulls it off just as, as just a total aside right there. I just have to be like, wow, congratulations. But like, she's been, you know, awakened again by like Harvey Keitel in this movie. And then she's locked inside her house with Sam who like locks her in from the outside, which is such a perfect moment of like, you're not locked in here with me. Like I'm locked in here with you. She's like, fine, lock me and I'll play piano in the middle of the night. I'll drive you crazy. I'll like do, you know, this is like, this is the point where I'm trying to get to. I'll like kind of sexually tease you. Then she starts being like, well, what if I want to, you know, play with Sam Neill's naked buttocks in the keeping Mm. of these kind of movies. And And yeah, that's a part where I was like sort of watching it, like being like, what is going on in her head? And it's fascinating because like here in this little moment between like, she thinks she's saying goodbye to Harvey Keitel. Her her finger hasn't been cut off yet. She's not towards her like sort of quote unquote happy ending. She has this just period where she's like caressing Sam Neill's butt. And he's just lying there being like, I feel uncomfortable with this, but I'm glad you're touching me. But why can't I touch you? And it's such a moment of like, that to me is like, epically male vulnerability, him, him feeling just exposed in this way and feeling like he can't, it's, it's such an upending of almost every kind of romantic scene we've ever seen, every sex scene in a movie. I want to touch you. Why can't I touch you? Don't you like me? And look, this is where I think you are getting to in the beginning, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is like the punk rock. This is like her manipulating the situation. She doesn't She doesn't go down without a fight. Like she comes in and she's like, no one can cage me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and she's like, and I'm going to mess with you mentally so much <gasps> so that it culminates That's the in- the skirt. It's like a literal cage yeah. that she has to wear, that women have to wear. Okay, sorry. Yeah, go on. Well, no, I mean, but, but to me- the final moment of this master manipulation is her planting the idea in his head of her saying, like she, like it's, um, she's entered him in a way, mm-hmm. right? And, and 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 done, I guess, like the most aggressive thing you can do, which is like get into someone else's brain, you know, and. You know, it's and I guess if you're talking about like the idea of like penetration and and things of that nature, like in rape, she mind rapes him, right? Like in in a way. Yeah, she's like, you have to let me go. And the way that he looks at her in that moment, he like he is overtaken. And in that way, why is she doing that? Right? She's doing that to get her way. Right? She's she's breaking him so she can get what she wants, and so that to me feels like and then she gets it and she's like i don't know if i want it and like maybe that is life maybe that is life maybe i'm being too maybe maybe i'm talking myself into this movie because she gets what she wants and she's like do i really want this and then she's living the life where she is she's got what she needs she's doing her own thing and she's like is this all and i think maybe that's something we all wrestle with like is this it is this right 
did I make the right choice? So maybe I've just talked myself way back into this movie. (laughs) I like that. I mean, that rings really true to me. And by the way, speaking of like brain implantation, I once had a pet psychic tell me that that was possible. Like my, my old cat would always be really anxious when I left the house on like long vacations. And my pet psychic that I called to try to be like, what can I do about my cat getting nervous when I'm gone? Mm -hmm. She was like, as you leave the house, picture yourself holding your suitcase, crossing the, crossing, crossing the threshold and send that image to your cat. And then send your cat an image of you crossing the threshold and coming back inside holding your suitcase and let your cat know that you'll be home again. Mm. So in the very respected world of pet psychology, uh, mental implantation is a thing. I think it did help. Honestly, I think it did help. We're used to seeing more complicated male characters, right? Like it, it, like in general at this point, right? Where it is like the um, Don Draper, if you will, right? Of of the Mad Men world, where it's like I have this perfect wife and this house and this job, but am I happy? Like, am I? Is this all there is? And I'm gonna destroy it. And I think that that's because of a lot of male filmmakers probably wrestling with. Should I be out there? Should, I mean, I, you could talk to anybody, you know, like uh, like that has that idea. Like, am I settling? Am I there? So maybe seeing it in this point of view, and I, I think going back to your Scarlett O'Hara comparison, I'm going to take back what I said about mental illness and say she's just, this is her. What does she want? She doesn't know. And, and in a weird way, she doesn't know so much that she's taken away anyone ever questioning her because she wasn't, she won't speak, right? She's decided I can't even, you can't even, you can't even engage me because I'm not going to, I, I am incapable of telling you what I feel like if she was to speak, she could at least have a conversation, an argument, but she, she has taken away the one way that you could actually connect with her in a way. And so, and what's interesting about Harvey Keitel is that he finds a way to connect with her that has no words, you know, um, seduce her or respect her. I mean, that this is interesting. Now I yeah. really, I really was going to go in here going like, fuck this movie. I'm done with this one. I don't <laughs> this like it. This movie sucks. I re- yeah. And, 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 and but, but in talking about it really has opened my mind to back to your original point. And this is why you're so great, Amy, uh, that, uh, that it is a punk rock film. Yeah. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I love talking this out with you, too, you know, because the fact that she doesn't talk, in a way I think it makes it her more universal to us as the audience, because if she can't explain it, or no, not even can't, if she refuses to explain it, it puts us in the audience in the position 
of trying to get inside her head, you know, which is, is exactly what all the men in the movie are trying to do. And I love movies that force us in the audience to try to extend empathy and like to engage ourselves and to put our whole curiosity there instead of being like, oh, that's why you do what you do. Oh, your parents were shot in front of you and your mother's pearls were ripped all over the floor. Okay, I get it. Like, it almost turns her from like a person, like a specific person into like just kind of this like symbol of female will, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's what feels so universal about her. And what I love about it is that, is that she does things we don't like, you know? Because I feel like we... She's not a likable character because I think you, I think that you do feel for both of these men. Because I think before the rape attempt and the finger cutting off, these men are trying, right? They're not like, yeah. you know, they, they are, you know, one a little bit more, one a little bit less, but in touch with their emotions, wanting yeah. to make things work, not knowing how to, you know, they're in the middle of the jungle. So yes, you're right. Like yeah. they, they, they're not like oh, he's so abusive to her. How could she ever like him? Because even Harvey Keitel, like I said, the, the prostitution relationship that they have is still not as as aggressive as it could be. Yeah. And it builds slowly. I mean, again, and you And you could know. say that like Sam is like a, what, like a nice guy TM. You know, like, I'm a mm -hmm. good guy. Look at me. Right. I gave you a house. I'm doing what I can. But, you know, trying. I have a, He's trying. He's trying. But, I mean, honestly, in today's moment, I feel like if this movie came out today, we'd be like, we would take it to this one sentence reductive level and say, this is a movie that says a woman should fall in love with her rapist. This movie is therefore terrible and canceled. Right. Mm -hmm. And I respect that this is a movie that's like, people are fucking complicated and life is weird. And is, and then is like, you know, if you don't get it, that's fine. Think about it. I don't know. I don't know if I get it. I don't know if like Jane Campion gets it. Like, I don't know if there is anything to get. It is a thing where that happens. Like Jane Campion is one of those filmmakers, like the few we've been talking about lately, who like said in an interview, you know, I'm adverse to teaching messages and that messages are a load of rubbish. And there is this like spirit in Jane Campion that I think is like incredibly punk rock about it. You know, mm -hmm. she you know, said when this film came out, came out, she's like, look, cruelty is just a human instinct. And she's like, I recognize it to be true. I don't damn it. I don't take a moral position on it. I don't belong to any clubs. And I dislike club mentality of any kind, even feminism. Although I do relate to the purpose and point of feminism, which is her way of saying like, you know, I think there is a club answer to what this movie is supposed to tell us about what it's like to be a strong woman. And she's like, what if it's not even that? What if it's weirder? What if it doesn't make any sense? Like, what if being a person doesn't make any sense at all? Mm. And we just do what we do and we're like, make it through another day. And what this well, movie doesn't right. even like flat out say, but it always leaves me wondering is like, you know who it really, it would really suck to be in this movie even more than like Sam Neill, even more than Harvey Keitel. It would be to be her daughter, to be like this stubborn, maddening woman's daughter. And you're responsible for trying to translate what she is thinking to the rest of the world. Like when you're a little Anna Peck, when you're nine years old and your whole life is like, studying your mother's face to be like, I don't know, is she going to kill herself? Right. Well, it's like, the reverse thing. It's the child. That? It's the child as the caretaker of the, uh, yeah. of the adult. And, and, and I think awful. that, <laughs> like, and, and I think that what is interesting about that character, Anna Paquin's character is like, she likes Sam Neill. She's protective of Sam Neill, you know, because he treats her well, like he, you know, and, and she sees the safety of that and she sees Maybe more stability in a way than her mom, who isn't, who may not, like, again, she has a child. Does she want a child or is a child just really 
helping her articulate. So that's also another complicated thing. I do believe that she loves her child, but I also don't feel like this is this is a movie that kind of really have changed my mind about this movie. This is a movie that really, I think, questions a lot of attitudes that we believe or we have seen in, in, in film to be true. Like, oh, well, the mother will always do something for the child. I don't think that that's always the case here. I think the child is like working for her, you know, in and in, in a way that's a little bit different or at least a little different than what we've seen in, in, in cinema, right? Or traditionally in cinema. And then... Um, yeah, and, and you see the way that it, it comes yeah. out in, you know, Anna Paquin's character in Flora, where she is also a person who's like kind of doing 90 things at once. You know, at one point she's like, you know, torturing a dog. And she's like jamming sticks at it and yelling at it. And then like two beats later, she's like, oh no, poor dog, who hurt you? It would be honestly, wait, I want to take back where I was going because if part of me is going to be like, of course she acts like that. She gets it from her mother. But then I'm like, maybe that's just people, too. Like, this is a movie that doesn't give you simple explanations. People, little kids, everybody is capable of just like doing cruel stuff, taking it back, not knowing what we're doing in life, not having like a cohesive plan. And the fact that this daughter like rats out her mother several times in a way that doesn't even feel that conscious. She's not like, I hate my mother. Oh, my mother broke my toy. Or like, I'm super furious that my mother kept locking me out while she had sex with this Harvey Keitel guy. She's just like, blah, 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 blah. And then like her mom gets her finger cut off, you know? And then she's mad that her mom gets her finger cut off. She's mad at Harvey Keitel for it. She's mad at everybody. She's just got like all of this like rage and anger and she's a kid and it doesn't make any sense in the movie allows it to not make any sense. Oh, shush. What is it? You're not to see her trouble What happened? Kill me. Kill me! I mean, I get why she got the Oscar for this. Like, it, I love a kid role that's not like, I am the voice of purity and innocence and I understand what the adults cannot. Being a kid is like, this is confusing. Why is anybody doing this? And I am. But angry. do you think? But do you think the performance is that? Yeah, I love really? this performance. I, I mean, I think the performance is. <sighs> hmm. Okay. Okay. I'm not like I'm not. I like. I don't know if I was so taken with her performance. Um. But maybe the relationship, I mean, like, it's interesting. It's like, hmm, I don't know. I mean, you're right in that she didn't have to, like, learn piano the way that Holly Hunter did. Well, she doesn't have to do, like, she doesn't do, I guess, like, I don't think I feel like I see that much. But maybe it's it's a much more subtle thing. It's a subtle slow burn. I, I, 
And maybe because she is so naturalistic, maybe there is something there. You know, again, I think we have to like sometimes look at these movies in the context of when they came out. Like this performance might have like I think the performances have matched this now, like in, in the say of like a naturalistic child doing something that doesn't feel overly um, I'm a kid actor, you know, that kind of, you know, there, there's there's a. She, I guess she does carry a weight yeah. to her. I mean, Kristen Dunst was really amazing in, you know, Interview with the Vampire. I don't know. There's, She's so good in Interview with the Vampire. Yeah. It's not as multi-layered as, you know, Jodie Foster in Taxi Driver. Not that that's the, but it's like there there seems to be an energy energy of little kid in very big dramatic movie as one of leads must get nominated for I mean, on Oscar. I think it's as good as like the girl who played Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird. I think it has like, okay. I think it's as good as Haley Joel Osment. In, uh, uh yeah okay yeah I mean but I also no think Haley Joel Osment is doing way more do you think so I oh, don't yes. know oh yes I yes, don't know yes. she's got such do you think a it's range. better than Holly Hunter in the firm though mm, it's been a minute since I've seen that movie <laughs> uh I mean I was going back and looking at some of her like red carpet things from Oscar night and you really do see that she's just a kid and all of this is weird and people are asking her weird questions and she's like what do I even say to this and there's something she hasn't even in seen her the movie yeah, yeah, because she can't watch most right. of it. So there's something in her that reminds me even of, like, you know, her mother in the film. Is that a heavy Oscar? Yes. Did you think you were going to win, Anna? No. Was it fun winning? <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I, I think it's hard to be Anna Paquin, you know, because she's gone on and done, like, a lot of really great work. And this is still like the main thing that people want to talk to her about. I feel like, you know, she still does all these interviews and it always gets brought up and they're like, what do you remember? And she's like, oh, she, you know, she's like, this is one of the better answers I've even seen her give to the question. What do you remember? Because she's clearly so sick of it. I don't really, (laughs) I don't like kind of sit around and go, hmm. But I'd I'd just be surprised if you could remember it at all. Of course I remember it. I mean, I can remember being like three, you know, (laughs) but, um, uh, but it's one of those things that, you know, if you've looked at like a family photo album and at a certain point, like, do I really remember it or I just remember it because I know the stories and mm-hmm. I've looked at the pictures? They're kind of, it kind of takes on its own life in a way, mm-hmm. you know? And for me, I was, you know, it was just, that was what happened to me as a small kid, you does, know? Does it feel like someone else won it? No, but it's a long time ago. I mean, but it's pretty it's remarkable. It, it's very. You understand statist- what, It is very statistically unlikely. You, yeah, you understand why people keep asking about <laughs> oh, it. Oh no, I get that because it's kind of crazy. It's a little nuts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I get that. It's just you know, it becomes something that takes on its own kind of life outside of just being this very strange and kind of wonderful thing that happened to me like two decades ago. And look, she's had a, a, a pretty amazing career afterwards. I want to just say that who she's up against uh, that year is Holly Hunter from The Firm, Rosie Perez from Fearless, which is a movie that I think is really fantastic. I Again, never saw that. A movie I haven't seen. Uh, Jeff Bridges is really great in that movie. Uh, Winona Ryder, The Age of Innocence, um, and Emma Thompson in The Name of the Father, which has another great performance too. Um, I sometimes think that kids just like rise to the, the, the top because we're kind of like enamored with them like I think in that's best supporting role it's like the it's the Mira Sorvino it's the ooh what like what do we like like we like like it's like it's a chance for the Oscars to have a little bit more like well, you know let's loosen up let's have a good time yeah. you know I mean, we like, always love like taking that person and like trotting them everywhere like that summer oh, yeah. when it, or that year when it was like Kavazine Wallace uh 
Oh, yes. Or, yeah. And it was just like they made her all these little purses that looked like dogs. And she just always had a cute little purse like a dog. And I who mean, was that other actress that was like, so there was the actress in the um, in the, the movie about from the Florida the, project, the she whale, right? The whale movie. Uh, Keek, oh, uh, yeah. 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 Whale rider. Whale rider. Yes. Yeah. She was, you know, and then they do all that stuff where they come to the awards. And like, what is it like to sit next to Brad Pitt? And they embarrass like, her. In he's front an of Brad old Pitt. man. I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But again, I, mean, I don't want I'm yeah. not I'm not shading this performance at no. all. I think I, but it's I, great. I, yeah, I and think like, it's great. I think everybody in this movie is great. Acting performance, which is nuts. Like, you know, just she just saw like kind of one of those like open uh, casting Keisha Castle calls. Hughes, by the way. Oh, yeah. Is who we're talking about. Like there's just sort of an open casting call, like for New Zealand. She's a, she's in New Zealand. She's a young kid, and her dad was like, "Yeah, I guess you can audition for this, but you have to call the phone number yourself." When she's nine years old, she's like, oh, wow. "Okay." So she calls. She's not even like wanting necessarily to be an actress. She's grown up in one of those kind of weird households. She calls it like a lentils and no sugar household, oh, wow. where you're just sort of like a hippie and like I don't know. They're like express yourself if you feel like it. And then she starts getting all of this attention afterwards and her parents are like, whoa, and not happy necessarily about it. Her dad in all these interviews at the time is calling the movie Jurassic Piano because like all of these people were trying to turn her into the next Macaulay Culkin. And they're like, you're going to stay in New Zealand. I don't think you should be going this crazy with it. Somebody asked her to cut her hair for a movie and she was like, no, it's not worth it. I'm just a kid. And so there's something in her, I think, doing this movie about stubbornness that I think really fit this fit her like I think it kind of I think she sort of lived her own life on her own terms Anna Paquin has and and I respect that about her what do you think the resonance of this movie is like now like because it is interesting what we look back I think that Jane Campion is known and respected as a director and I would argue that she's one of those people that we hold up as being this amazing uh, writer and director, but many people may not have seen all of her work, but they just know, oh, well, yeah, well, it's a Gene Campion film. And that, by the way, I fall in that category to a certain degree, too. It's like, oh, well, it's Gene Campion. Like, I know, I know like, I, I understand that she is in this upper tier, but I don't, I, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because, I mean, do, am I wrong in that? Or am I, I mean, I'm again, is this well, me? Well, it's interesting because like part of the beat on her is like she's upper tier and yet nobody liked most of what she did right after this because she kept going down this world of making like unlikable female characters who do weird stuff. You're like, I remember like, I don't even think I saw Holy Smoke, that movie she made with um, Kate Winslet and Harvey Keitel a couple of years after this. All I knew was it was the movie where like Kate Winslet pees on the floor. And there's something about her movies that I think get reduced to like woman does weird thing. Woman doesn't talk. Woman pees on floor and people don't know what to make of them. Because mm. honestly, there's a power of the dog is probably like the biggest film she's had since by far. Well, but I would argue the top of the lake was probably another, not a film, yeah, uh, like, but a yeah, series that I think got a lot of attention that yeah. people really liked. And, and I think also but I think she wouldn't have even gotten the green light to make a movie like power of the dog. If she hadn't kind of veered and done a TV show that people liked. Yes. And I think that that TV show also like, I really liked top of the lake. I think it was really beautifully done. And, and I think sets the tone for what we start to see in a lot of these new miniseries in those like, you know, Nine Perfect Strangers or uh, what, you know, the uh, the the Big Little Lies, where it's like you yeah. have this cast of bigger actors, Holly Hunter, Elizabeth Moss, Nicole Kidman, you know, all uh, 
you know, coming in and doing like TV. It made like, I think that she's one, you know, it's 2013 is when Top of the Lake starts. I, I think that there is something about her being this acclaimed director. And to your point, like sometimes, yes, people may not like what she has done, but she is still respected because the piano is so iconic. I would tell you that I probably, uh, I think I saw a portrait of a lady, uh, but I did not see piano. Um, you know, and I've seen Power of the Dog, but it's like, but I, if I would talk about her as being one of these great female directors, and that may speak to the the point that there's not that many female directors that are lauded and applauded and, and put on a pedestal. Uh, but I also feel like it's interesting that she can keep that stature with having a lack of hits, true, or a lack of movies that break through. Yeah. I mean, it, you know? it feels like she has an attitude of, I want to make a movie that I like and respect. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. I mean, mystique is like her whole thing, as she's saying in this interview right here. I wanted to create a a woman's character that um, was utterly mysterious to me. I'm very attracted to people that create air of mystique about themselves and and, uh, sort of impenetrable and you can't understand their behavior and very willful and um, don't seem to care about other people's opinions. I find these characters immensely attractive. And you're speaking about mystique. Anna Paquin knows mystique. Yeah. From the X-Men. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I really like about this movie, too, is, you know, she is telling the story about colonization. And one of the things that I think stuck out to me when I in the opening credit sequence was that they credit like the dialogue, the Maori dialogue. There's a person that was an advisor and front and center. Like that was, that credit is in the opening, you know, uh, the opening crawl. Like it, it, it seems to me like, Oh, we are, we're not also going to be these types of people that are, are just assuming what Maori people are like. We're, we are going to try to do this in the most respectful and, uh, and, and true way. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Like this movie has been criticized a bit because the Maori characters, you know, don't play that much of a role really in the film and they're sort of seen as like cute or simple or like, well, here, Cliff Curtis, you know, like the great actor, he's in this movie and like he refers to it in this interview as being part of what he calls the quote unquote black drop. With a whole bunch of natives and I, you know, affectionately, I called us the black drop because the, the real drama was happening over there, you know, with the, with the, with the masters who got us to carry the piano and it's like, we were kind of like these naive sort of languid brown people carrying pianos and begging for tobacco and so I was like wow that's weird I had a great scene in it I had a great role in it and it pretty much got cut out and it's sitting under the Sydney Harbour Bridge I've never seen it so yeah but you know beautiful movie and uh and great to be a part of that heritage of of New Zealand filmmaking I mean one of the things people always point to is like the scene where the Maori uh, are at the play and they like see like kind of the Bluebeard play, you know, Bluebeard, of course, being like even a play about like husbands and going through wives and the wives being like, I must disobey you. You know, that's a whole play about like disobedience, disobedient women. But they, you know, think that Bluebeard is actually like killing people on stage and they like run up and try to defend to like protect. That's played for a joke. But what I also kind of see in that is just this is like a whole statement, I think, about a time when nobody on this island had much culture. You know, even one of the old kind of biddies themselves is like freaked out by the shadow puppet trick. Like there's not art here. Like this is a place that doesn't respect art. 
or they're unfamiliar with art. And that's what I see in that moment, like a lot. I mean, this time is so like literal minded about like land and survival that when, you know, she carves her own piano keys into a table, Sam Neill is like, what? That's just weird. And he can't get it. And he doesn't understand anything about like dreaming or imagination or art. He's just like, that's a crazy thing to do. What would you think if someone were to play a kitchen table like it were a piano? Like it were a piano? It's strange, isn't it? I mean... It's not a piano. It's, it doesn't make any sound. Biscuits. No, no sound. I mean, she was mute, but now I'm thinking perhaps it's more than that. I'm wondering if she's not brain affected. Shush. So it's interesting. Like, I, I absolutely see that point where, like, you know, that scene can be read as, like, looking down on the Maoris or calling them dumb. But I also see it as just fitting in keeping with so much of the movie that like, this is just a time where there is no sort of sense of like fanciful expression. Yes. And and I also feel like, look, this is not a story about colonization. This is a story about Ada. This is, and, and, and the, the backdrop that these characters play, they are, they are backdrop. They, 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 it doesn't, it's not telling the story of colonization. It's telling the story of these of these men who are colonizers trying to colonize this woman to a certain degree and how she fights back, you know, and, and, and how she regains or finds her own voice in that, you know. And I think that that's hard because when you see a lack of representation and then you and you're like, well, why isn't there more? I do believe it is balanced in that way. But I also understand that, like, it. well, then the only time we actually see them, they are buffoons. It, you know, it's a tricky position. Uh, I mean, yeah, this, so I, this is also not a movie that's going to be like, anybody is a great, he, like, it's not going to let any character stand up and be like the perfect kind of person. Everybody in this movie is kind of. But even showing, I, mean, I guess, I guess way, like yeah. seeing them and I, I, I guess seeing them in the way where you say, uh, where they reject the blankets, they reject the buttons, like at yeah. least shows them like. And even in that, that scene where they're taking a bath around the, you know, and they're all bathing together with Harvey Keitel, like they're talking to him and, and they are, they're not buffoons. They're like, like if you were to break it down, they, they do get to show multiple sides. Are they on screen a lot? No, you know, but they, but they, you definitely see them differently uh, a few different times, you know, yeah. and, and, and I mean, look, they re- also react to like, Yeah. She yeah. shows them as people who are being forced to do a lot of labor and getting ignored a lot mm-hmm. as like doing the hard work for people. You know, and she kind of shows how hard that work was and how uncool it was. And she shows that, like, people like Sam didn't pay them enough. And she shows that she shows that, like, there are a lot of racist people there. You know, she's Mm -hmm. like she goes very hard on like kind of the I keep calling them just like the biddy collective in my head. But the biddies who are like being too much like the Maori is bad. And they're like they're very racist and scared of the place that they're living in. We have just come from George Baines and they have taken him over. It is no wonder he is leaving. He's got in too deep with the natives. They sit on his floor as proud as kings, but without They're a shred, shred of manners. manners. He's quite altered, as if they have been trying some native witchcraft on him. Well, tomorrow or the day after, he will be gone. So Baines is packing up. Well, he has nothing to pack, but he is leaving. And it is just as well. Nessie has foolishly grown an affection for him. We have had some tears. Stop it. 
Stop. It's hard because I, I really feel like I see all sides of it. I see like Jane Campion trying to make a movie about the country she came from that came from like a lot of people abusing other people. You which know, I think we can li- never- Which is like the we can identify with here in America. So I really appreciate this conversation because I think, Amy, in watching it, I know I came in with my 90s high school mentality. Um, and then I, I felt in many respects that this movie was doing exactly opposite of what I think it was trying to do. And that made me angry. But I really think what you've opened my eyes to in a few different ways, I'm very, like, I'm not surprised that you opened my eyes. I'm, but I'm just sort of, I think it's easy to kind of gloss over how complex it is, but I also understand that a movie that can do this be as complex, but yet as fulfilling as this is what that's like the secret sauce. It's sort of like, that's why it is a hit. That's why it it kind of becomes this phenomenon because there's more there if you want to look at it and there's, and, and you can walk away with it feeling pretty much like, well, yeah, that was a, I, I like this, but there's a lot more there there. And I understand it now a little bit deeper than I, than I think I did. So obviously we know this is an Oscar darling, but were there reviewers out there that, that didn't like uh, the piano? Were there people out there like me before I got to talk to a person like you? There were. And the people who didn't like it really didn't like it. And the people who didn't like it are people we've had uh, we've had their reviews on this show many, many times before. Uh, John Simon of the National Review, he said, what the adults do would only make sense as the wet dream of an inane woman. Meow. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Stanley Kaufman of New Republic, he's, he called it an overwrought, hollowly symbolic glob of glutinous nonsense. Every moment is upholstered with the suffocating high-mindedness that declines to connect symbols with comprehensible themes. I haven't seen a sillier film about a woman and her piano since John Huston's The Unforgiven, a Western in which Lillian Gish had her piano carried out into the front yard so she could play Mozart to pacify attacking Indians. And the President of the United States, Bill Clinton, apparently saw it at the White House and when it was over just said, what was that all about? Really? (laughs) Yeah. And Jane Campion uh, said, well, I'm not surprised by all of these reviews. Male critics have a tragically dull vision of what it means to be female. Mm. Oh, look at that. I'm glad I'm on the wrong side of history there. Also, a very (laughs) interesting and maybe potentially depressing side note is this is potentially the last movie that Kurt Cobain saw as he went out with friends the night before he committed suicide uh, to see the piano. Oh, wow. I hope that didn't contribute to his mood. I Well, I actually was thinking about this idea of this voice and what we we're talking about, like this idea of, you know, maybe, I mean, obviously there's a lot of larger issues going on, but it, it you know, it's an interesting movie about, you know, how your voice is coming out through music and, and this idea of like, is this where I want to be? Is this, is this good? You know, it's, it, it's a very interestingly debatable you know, film for him to see before uh, before he decides to to take his own life. Now we're all the way full circle back to Batman and the number of times they play sad, 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 sad Kurt Cobain to establish the point that Batman is sad. <sighs> I, I I mean, I guess he really shouldn't have watched the new Batman that night. Oh my You'd gosh, really Amy, don't don't bring don't bring your anti bat sentiment into a nice moment where we're talking about the loss of uh, one of our iconic uh, musicians. 
I want to know what he would have thought about it. I think he's like me. I think he's a Michael Keaton guy. He is a Michael Keaton guy, probably because he's only really experienced Michael Keaton. But I, I like I, you know, well, okay, <laughs> a lot. but point still stands. Michael Keaton guy, Kurt Cobain, Michael Keaton. Fan. OK, there you go. You got that. Um, you know, Amy, we are coming up to the Oscars and a lot of people have been asking us, when are you going to do your Oscar episode? And we felt like the week leading up to the Oscars might be the best way to discuss everything before it gets painted by winners and losers and and all that jazz. Um, and we already talked a little bit about the Oscar ceremony itself, but I think it might be nice to spend next week just talking about what came out this year. What do we like? What are the movies? What are the next pianos? I haven't seen everything. I don't know. You probably have. You have to because you're on many boards. Uh, but uh, I would love many to talk boards. to you about what... I'm on my ones and twos. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would love to see what you are interested in, what you're rooting for. And then also, I thought maybe a way that would make the end of this series really interesting is picking a final movie based on potentially the big winner of the night uh, of the Oscars. So we do our Oscar episode and then we... Uh, dip back into our contender series with maybe a winner. That's how we uh, wrap it up. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. All or right. we do more. Or we do more. We'll, we'll, we'll play it by ear because I think there's a few people that we wanted to talk about here too. Like, I know we want to talk about Del Toro. Maybe we extend this for two more weeks. We live in the Oscar world uh, for a couple more weeks. So whatever, you know, if there's you anything know. that we've learned from the piano, it's that our heart plays to its own rhythm. And whatever stirs us, I don't even know if I can explain it. If I'm like suddenly, I think we really have to do a Will Smith movie. Who knows? The we heart get will tell me what I got to do. We did do. Men in Black. We did Men in Black. So, That's true. Uh, but I also want to keep this conversation going, and you can do that on our Discord at discord.gg slash Paul Shear. There is a uh, unspooled section each week. Every movie is turned into a thread. If you've never been on Discord, it's incredibly easy. It's free. It's uh, just, it's like, I think, a cleaner version of Slack. But... Um, it's a lot of fun, and we have a great community there, and there's a lot of arguments about these movies, what we're picking, if it belongs in outer space, and uh, things that we haven't covered. So get your voice heard in our Discord. And also next week, we'll be revealing the winners of the 2021 International Unspooled Listener Guild Awards, the Spoolies, which are put together by uh, a lot of the listeners on uh, the Discord. Uh, this is basically people's favorite films from the year. You go through, you vote for your favorites, and then they tabulate the winners. So we will have them next week. I cannot wait to see what people have picked. Me too. I'm curious. All right. Let's do it. I'm excited, Paul. All right. We will see you next week for an Oscar recap. So try to catch up on everything. Everything. All the three-hour movies. <laughs> and we will get back to you uh, with our final pick of the series after that. All right. Uh, see you next time, Amy. Bye. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.